Good morning. My name is Tara. I'm one of the lead team here at Centerway. Um, I'm just going to read the verse today. The verses that we're working from is 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. Um, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, and knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Thanks, Tara. Uh, actually, hold on to that if you don't mind. Thanks so much. Uh, this morning, we're continuing in the series, uh, To What End? To What End? And uh, this morning's title of the message is actually Realizations, Realizations. Uh, the, the series that we're in is actually moving through chapter 15 and 16 of 1 Corinthians. And so we're actually wrapping up the, Burke, Burke, the book, not the Burke, because I don't know what a Burke is, the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. And if you've been here since the beginning, uh, through different series and different times, uh, it means that you've been with us on the journey through all of 1 Corinthians. And so the reason I'm mentioning some of that is I'm going to make reference to uh, Paul, and you need to kind of understand that uh, 1 Corinthians was uh, written, it's a letter written by Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, who helped establish the church in Corinth, and so uh, you may hear me make reference to Paul, if and when I do, that's who I'm talking about, uh, and so I just want us all on the same page. As we uh, jump into the, the message today, I was considering uh, a lot of, of different uh, things I could share with you in regards to fear specifically, because we're kind of talking a little bit about uh, fear and being afraid. And uh, there are a lot of times in my life that I have been afraid, and then there are a lot of times in my life that I have scared other people. <laughs> in fact, I may have a problem, because I absolutely love scaring my wife. I love it. Like when we were first married, we would unlock the door to our apartment and I would just run into the apartment. And she'd be like, no, Claude, what are you doing? And I'd just be hiding. And she knew I was going to horrify her in some way. And so she'd be like, I'm not coming in. I'm not coming in. And I'm like giggling, you know, can't wait to scare her. Um, so I've grown up a little bit. Uh, and so I don't, I don't uh, scare her quite as much. Um, that's why the Lord gave us children. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Although nothing is quite as entertaining as watching a little kid be like scared and they're like, oh, you know, and you're like, that's amazing. I may have a problem. Anyway, uh, I, uh, I haven't taken much joy in, uh, in scaring my kids because I have found that if you scare them really well, they cry and then you're a jerk. So uh, there was a one moment in particular uh, with my oldest who actually just recently turned 12. And uh, I remember like yesterday when she was uh, just three, four years old maybe. And uh, at the time in our home, we, instead of having like a long hallway, there's this one part of our hallway that was kind of um, almost like a triangle and there were doors off of that 
hallway, if you will. And uh, her bedroom door was off of that hallway. And uh, we were playing out in the living room. I told her to go get something out of her room. And so she went running over. She's laughing and giggling. And she runs over and she stops right at the entranceway to this little hallway. And she just is like frozen. And uh, I walk up to her. I go, babe, what's wrong? Go, go get it. And she's like, um, I'm scared of the dark. She said, similar to that, but far more adorable and with more hair. Um, and so in either case, she's like, I'm scared of the dark. And I was like, honey, you don't, you don't have to be afraid. Like, just, just go ahead and get it. And so there's this kind of paramount moment where we want to call something out of our kids, right? Instead of having them be bound by fear or whatever, we want them to rise above the moment. And so you're basically giving your kid a pep talk if you've ever been in that moment. Like, go ahead, it's just, it's just darkness, it's fine. Like, close your eyes, that's dark, right? Open them, you're fine, you know? And so just go ahead in there. And she's like, yeah, um, I'm scared. And so I, I look at her and I say, Ellie, it's okay to be afraid, but don't let fear stop you from doing what you want to do. Just go ahead into the darkness. I would love to be like, and then she was like, Father, that was the most inspirational speech I've ever heard. In fact, I was a fearful little four-year-old girl, but now that you've spoken the moments of truth, into my heart. I will rise above. And then she just stormed in. Now, that didn't happen at all. She looked at me like I was insane and said, yeah, I'm scared. And she stood right there. It's easy to say, walk into the fear, walk through the fear. It's easy to say, let's consider the situation. Let's rationalize the reality of this situation and just walk right through it. But the reality is we're afraid, we don't like it, and we're not moving. And so I have a question for you. What would your life look like if you were never afraid of anything? What would your life look like if you were never afraid of anything? I'm guessing it would look a lot different than it does right now. You see... Fear stops us. It just does. But is that always a bad thing? Is it always a bad thing that fear stops us? Isn't there a thing called healthy fear? Right? Have you ever heard that? Like, well, they have a, a healthy fear of fire. I'm like, really? Is it, is it a healthy fear? Because healthy fear keeps us from being reckless, right? And being dangerous for no reason. That's kind of what we classify healthy fear. But I want to submit to you this morning that, in fact, fear is simply an emotion. And the real problem, the real root of the issue is what we do or do not know. People are reckless because they're functioning out of something they don't know. They don't realize the implications of the decisions they're making. It's not because they lack fear. It's because they lack knowledge. It's what we do or do not know. Have you ever been a part of scaring someone? <laughs> so I'll, I'll give you a little peek into my wife's life and you can start praying for her more actively. One of the things that, um, that I, for whatever reason, find entertaining, like a little school kid, I have no idea. I love to rig the water sprayer <laughs> in the kitchen. She's already like, 
I love to just rig it on, like whether it's a hair tie or something like those. When our kids got clear rubber bands for their dolls, I was like, hark, the Lord has bestowed upon me the most <laughs> glorious gift ever because she can't even tell that it's wrapped around that nozzle. And to everybody in the room, I've just given you wonderful ideas. But so I, I wrap it around. And so I just sit there so excited. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me, but I just sit there. I'm looking at her and she'll be going about stuff in the kitchen. I'm like, oh my gosh. And then she gets close to the sink and then she goes away. And I'm like, oh, this is too good. This is amazing because it's going to happen, right? And uh, so she walks over, turns it on. Sure enough, just sprays all over her, laughing hysterically. And she's seriously seriously, Claude, you really find this that entertaining? I'm like, I, yeah, I do. That is amazing, you know, and added with a little bit of scream. And, and, and then there's a wonderful moment when our kids don't realize that I've rigged it for their mother. And my son in particular is the perfect height of the sink. So he's like, right into the face. I'm like, blessings on you. He's like, what happened? I'm like, I have no idea. Um, so it's time to take a bath. I think the Lord's speaking to you. Um, just kidding. You really jack up some kids theology, right? But my most joyous moments in regard to this, the water sprayer is when I let my kids in on the joke. So when I can bring the kids around and be like, hey, don't, tur- don't turn the sink on. And like, why not? I'm like, look at it. And they're like, ah. Oh. Yeah, they look at me like, okay. And so I kind of let them in like, hey, we're going to wet mommy. <laughs> what is wrong with me? And, uh, and, and so they get all excited, and then they're, they're trying to keep the secret, right? And so it's hilarious because you see little kids trying to keep a secret, and they're like, Mommy, aren't you thirsty? I'm like, you're not my child. What in the world? Like, slow play it, kid. You know, she's like, no, no, what are you talking about? You know, going around. And so, um, and then kind of the moment comes where they're kind of gathered around, and she turns on the water, and she gets sprayed with water. She screams, scared, and all of us are laughing to our entertainment. And, and then she laughs, and it's a, a family joke, I promise. <laughs> the point is this. The people that know what's going to happen are not afraid, right? They're not afraid because they're in on it. They realize what's going to happen. They know. They have knowledge. The unknowing person is the one that gets scared. In fact, knowledge creates anticipation. Isn't that interesting? When you know something's about to happen, you actually have an anticipation of what's coming. It's not a fearful thing. It's an anticipation type thing, an anticipatory Yeah, nailed it. (laughs) Thanks. I could like feel her willing me to say that. Like, you sound like a moron. It's anticipatory. So I want to submit to you, fear is connected to what you know. It's connected to what you know. And this means uncertainty leads to fear, the unknown, which is why we want guarantees in this life. We want guarantees in our lives because we desire safety. We desire control. We want to eliminate uncertainty. We just want to marginalize it. We want to be like, listen, I'm totally in the loop on every aspect of my life. I have guarantees. I have certainty. I have nothing to fear. I can move forward with boldness because I know. Listen, like it or not, as humans, Christian or not. And I realize that we have people all over the gamut this morning in the room, from from committed to Christ follower to, I don't know why I'm sitting in a church right now, I'm not sure there is a God. And everybody in between. 
as a human being, when you don't know where your life is headed, the result is fear. And fear leads to selfishness. When we're afraid, we look out for number one. When we're uncertain about things, we take care of ourselves. Because we're not sure. We're not certain. And so what do I want? What do I need? And we, we, turn inward, we turn into ourselves, but to what end? To what end? So much of our lives are changing and unknown. And depending on the season of your, of your life currently, this can be almost unbearable. And I know we have all different walks of life in different seasons, but if the season of life that you're in, I equate it to like a snow globe sometimes. Like seasons of my life where it just feels like somebody just shook up a snow globe. It's like, well, there's my life. It's all moving. So depending on the season of life you're in, the uncertainty can become almost unbearable. And we just want guarantees. So we're fearful of the unknown. We get selfish. We protect. We play it safe. It sounds kind of depressing, right? Like just, it's all about me. Maybe when all of this settles, I can get some clarity and some guarantees. can find some certainty. The problem is every day, something else shakes it up a little bit. Because life is full of uncertainty and the unknown. So does that mean that we're destined to be fearful? We're just destined to be selfish, that we, that we fall victim to the reality that an uncertain life just rocks us at every turn? 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Sounds nice, right? Just look at somebody and be like, so don't be afraid. Come on, Elise, go into the darkness. Listen, don't be afraid. Be powerful. Have a sound mind. Self-control. Now go. Um, Dad, I'm still scared. I'm not going anywhere. Because it's not that easy. It's not that easy to just look at somebody and say, hey, stop being fearful because that fear is not from God. Oh, it's not from God? <laughs> now I understand. I'll just stop being fearful. Silly me. <laughs> Shucks. Sometimes I just forget about that not being from God and I get afraid. But now bring it on. Doesn't work that way, right? Just, just being aware that fear is not from God doesn't somehow release its grip on our life. The problem is that we're still fearful. Some of us are just locked up. We're just locked up. My daughter didn't stand there and look at me. She didn't say, Dad, I don't think you love me. Right? She didn't say, I think, you know what, because I'm afraid right now, I'm not sure I'm your child. Nothing like that happens. And so there are some of us that proclaim Christ, that realize we're children of the living God, and we stand frozen in fear. And we're not looking at God saying, I'm not your child. We're not looking at God saying, I'm not a Christian. We're not saying we're out of the game, and yet we're locked up. How does that work? 
How do we reconcile the fact that fear does not come from God and yet we're still locked up in the midst of it in full knowledge that we're children of the living God? It's because fear is connected to what we know. That's what Timothy is addressing in the verse that I just read. It's what Paul is addressing to the Corinthian Christians and it's what God is addressing in us today. So verse 52 through, uh, 51 through 52 says this. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. I tell you the unknown. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. It's a mystery. It's more than our mind can comprehend. But this life leads to something greater. So let's reorient our hearts and our minds and our priorities around what it is that is coming in anticipation. Allow the resurrection to realign our hearts and minds. What Paul is telling us is that we can know something. He's saying, this is what you know, that if you're in relationship with God, this life, it's not limited to this plane. Don't seek heaven on earth because there's something greater yet to come. That this life is something that leads to a resurrection. That it's a a part of a journey. That this life is short and eternity is long. He's saying there, now you know. So anticipate instead of be fearful. Allow what you know to remove fear. Did you know that historically... The early church, the early Christian church in the first century is the first occurrence of ethnic diversity in history. It was the first time that people of different ethnicities gathered in unity, and it was an issue, right? It was an issue. If you read scripture, it was an issue. But why is that? Why is it that that the early church is the first example of ethnic diversity? Weren't they... Afraid of different? When sickness struck in communities, what was typical historically is that people that were healthy would flee the community and that there were uh, different people that had the responsibilities within the communities depending on the ethnicities and the makeup of the community that would actually look at people to see if they were carriers of the disease that they were fleeing and if they were deemed healthy, they could flee, but if they were deemed to have that disease, they had to remain. And they would literally evacuate communities and allow people to die. They would burn the community, they would knock down the buildings and they would start over. It was the way they dealt with disease until the early church. It was the early church for the first time in history that as people fled communities, the early church remained with the sick and cared for them. A lot of them contracting the disease and dying themselves. Why? Weren't they afraid? You know, history tells us that people were killed for their faith in Christ. We call them martyrs. Literally killed for what they believed in. And what history records through the historian Josephus and others and books that have been written on martyrdom is that on the days and hours and the moments that these people were killed for proclaiming Christ, they were praying 
asking God to forgive the people that were killing them. Why? Like communities that were so confused by the fact that that people are interceding as they're peacefully laying down their lives. Weren't they afraid of death? Weren't they, weren't they fearful that, that they were being dealt with unjustly? Like, how could they in their last moments forgive people with the realization that those people are going to live their lives maybe without any consequences for their actions? So, why diversity? Why didn't they fear diversity? Because in a world where every nation had a little g God, Christians knew that God was Lord over all nations. And that if Jesus died for all people because he loved all people, then we as Christians must love all people regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their socioeconomic status, that we have to have a realization that when it comes to ethnic differences, there is no fear of different. It removes the fear of different because of who Christ is, because of what God has done. Why risk our lives caring for others? Why is it that Christians risked their lives caring for others? It's because when you know and realize that your life should reflect Christ and that you're living for eternity rather than this world, then there's no fear of death. Isn't that interesting? In my years of of pastoring, and I've I've been a, a pastor for around 20 years now, I've seen a lot of people breathe their last breaths. And I've seen people with amazing, amazing peace. Like, it sounds almost morbid to say, but they died so well. Like, you just see this peace come over them, and they're just so sure of what they know, of what's on the other side of eternity. Almost being able to, to smile and, and see and sense a presence that is beyond this room. And then I've seen people afraid. Afraid. And I'll leave it with that. I'll, just so fearful because of the unknown. It's amazing that, that we can live this life without a fear of death. So how can we forgive those that persecute us? How is it that those that were martyred for the work of Christ, for the work of Christ can forgive? Because when you allow and realize what God has forgiven you of, <laughs> I mean, when you come to grips with the depravity of your own soul and you realize the wickedness of your own thoughts and your own actions and the things that you act out and want to act out against other people, when you realize that the God of heaven forgives you of that, then not extending grace. Not extending grace is just, it's not an option. You have no fear of forgiving others and kind of letting them off the hook, if you will. Because God is at work and that is enough. You rest in the goodness of God and the reality that he is the judge. So it all comes down to, what do you know? What do you know? Because what you know informs how fearful you are. 
that connects to your willingness to move forward on your spiritual journey or to just get locked up. Because if all you know is what you can see and what has been wronged and what has been done against you, if all that you know is right here in front of you, then you are going to be so locked up and so hurt and so exhausted trying to move forward in life and realizing I just don't have the courage to take a step. But do you know what goes beyond this life? Do you know the fullness of what God has in store for those that love him? You see, the most precious thing we all possess is our lives. It's our lives. And so Paul addresses life and death. He talks about it in verse 54 and 56 through 56. He says this, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. It's kind of easy to say, right? Like, Death, where is your sting? And I think it's because we read it at face value. And there's a lot of underpinnings here to Old Testament texts that I don't have time to really dig up this morning. But I will talk about sting in the Greek here means a scorpion sting. So sometimes we read the scripture at face value and say, oh, death, where is your sting? And we think like, it doesn't hurt at all. Well, that's a total terrible reading of the scripture. (laughs) Because you're sitting there like, wait a second, no, death hurts. Like, I'm super sad, I'm super hurt, I'm really angry, so death, I know where your sting is, it's right here. And yet, I love God. How does that work out? And it's because what, what Paul is talking about is talking about a scorpion sting, which was poisonous and painful. And what he's saying, literally, is that death has lost its poison. Death has lost its victory. It's lost its poison, its authority. It still hurts. When someone someone dies, there's still pain. They're still grieving. It still hurts. It's not a trite statement to say that it's lost its sting. It's saying, listen, death, you've lost your poison. You've lost your authority. You've lost your grip on our life. Verse 57 says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So because of Jesus. You see, it's not because we just affiliate with Christianity that all of a sudden death loses its poison. I'm a church attender. I'm a church attendee. I don't have to worry about the poison of sin in my life. Well, that's not true at all. It's, it's much deeper than that. It's because of what Christ has done. It's because of the fact that Jesus has lived the sinless life that you and I could never live. And he bore the consequences of the poison of sin. He took the poison of sin. He drank from that wrath. And because he took the poison of sin, it can be passed beyond you. And you don't have to feel the poison of sin. It means that sin has lost its power to remove Christians from God's presence. If you know that, if you know that, it must change the way you live. If you know what Christ has done, then it has to change the way you live your life. 
There has to be implications. There must be a realization of like, oh my goodness, because of what Christ has done, this isn't me just escaping hell. This means I'm empowered to live my life on mission. It means that ethnic differences should not have authority or be a fearful thing. It means that I can love others. It means I can forgive others. It means I don't have to fear death. It means I'm free to live a life above and beyond what it is that I can hope or imagine. And this isn't by effort. You don't just conjure it up. It's not like a pep talk you say every morning. Like, hey, God's graceful. He's good. You're bad. Come on, let's do this. Let's go be nice. (laughs) That will never work. I'm talking about a transformative work of the knowledge, your head knowledge connecting to your heart and allowing it to transform who you are so that the outflow of that is a life transformed. And Paul talks about it. He sums it all up in verse, four, in verse 58. He says, therefore. It's a powerful statement. It's almost like he's literally saying chapters 1 through 15, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul is saying, because of all this knowledge, Now do the work of the ministry. Now be about what you should be about. Allow your knowledge to connect to the actions of your life. You're locked up and you're afraid, but it's because you don't know that fear shouldn't have a grip on your life. Therefore, the outflow of what you know, not fear, is a life lived on mission. Here at Centerway, We have what we call our because and therefore. And one of them is God risks, which states this. Because God sees what we cannot, we value God risks. Therefore, we respond when God speaks. Pursue efforts that require supernatural intervention to succeed. And while we aren't irresponsible, we resist to the comfort zone and don't maintain or play it safe out of fear. We as Centerway, as a community, as a community of believers putting their hands in a circle to say we're going to do life as imperfect people leaning on a perfect Savior, decide we're going to move forward as disciples of Jesus Christ. We're going to move forward. So Elise is standing there, scared, locked up. I say, baby, just move through it. Just, it's your room. Walk into the darkness. Don't let fear stop you. And she looks at me and tears kind of start to well up. It's like she's looking at me like, I can't, Dad. I'm so scared. And so I said, okay, just come to my voice. And so I walk into the darkness. I walk through the darkness and I get down on one knee and I say, okay, Ellie, come to daddy's voice. She looks, she can't see me because she says, daddy, I can't see you. I said, do you trust me? She smiled real big, shakes her head. I said, just come to my voice, honey. Just listen to my voice and walk towards my voice. And in a moment of brilliance, 
She just starts walking boldly into the darkness. Why? Because her father went first. And because she could hear his voice. She trusts him. I want to tell you this morning that Jesus Christ went into the darkness of death for you. He bore the sin. He bore the pain. He took on the weight that should lock you up and make you afraid. And as he went into the darkness, he emerged victorious. And so he says this morning, death, where is your sting? You have no victory. And now listen to my voice. Would you just take a step? Move forward. Move in to the fear. Not because you're not afraid, but because you trust me. Because you know I'm a good, good father. Take a step and move forward into the darkness. In the midst of the hurt. Why? Because I went first. And you can trust me. I know your name. Do you know Jesus this morning? Do you know what he's done for you? Have you allowed the weight of the truth of the gospel to settle so deeply in your heart that being locked up is not even an option? Because listen, it would be the enemy of hell that would remind you of the pain of your life. To just lock you up and say, you know what? You're no longer going to live on mission. I'm going to marginalize you and I'm going to make you settle for a lesser version of your one and only life. But it would be the God of heaven that would say, move forward. I laid down my life so that you could live life to the fullest. And so take God risks. Because we're not living for the material. We're not living for this. We're living for what lies ahead and you know it. If you really, really know it, then live like it. And that's what Paul is saying. Do the work of the ministry. Roll up your sleeves and lean in because you're settling otherwise. What you should know should change how you live your life. And the steps that you take, not reckless, but with authority because of the God you serve and the God you know. So I have a question for you to consider because the text requires something from us. I say that all the time. But to just come into a church service and to have our hearts and minds maybe reoriented for a moment is, is helpful at times, but it's far more helpful if you leave this place considering the implications in your life. And so this is what I want you to leave thinking about and considering. What next step will I take in my discipleship journey? So maybe you've been frozen up for some time. Maybe you've been locked up. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're moving along. But regardless of whether you're locked up or you're moving along, the question I want you to leave this place is what's next? What's next? We're not made to, to live in static moments. And so what's next for you? Maybe you've been in attendance here and the next step for you is to say, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to ask him to be the Lord and leader of my life. Maybe that's your next step. I, I don't know. I don't pretend to know, but I know that the Holy Spirit is leaning something on your heart right now that, that you can't just settle for how you've lived or how you've been locked up in certain things. What's next? What's the step you need to take? Do you need to be discipled? Have you been a part of, of a Christian environment for a long time, but you haven't had someone come alongside you and spiritually coach you for a season? We provide that here. It is your next step to say, listen, I want somebody to walk alongside me for the next eight weeks, talk about the qualities of a Christ follower in my life. 
Is the next step, if you say, hey, listen, I've crossed that line of faith. I've surrendered my life to Jesus, but I've never gone public with it. It's like the best kept secret between me and God. <laughs> that means your next step is a water baptism. To say, I'm going I'm to be public with the decision that I made. And so if you want to be water baptized, these are all options that you can go to the next step section of our website and sign up for your next step. Cross the line of faith, water baptism, discipleship. Maybe it's time for you to say, I'm going to serve. I'm going to be a part of this body in a deeper way, and I want to, I want to begin serving. And maybe you've been serving and say, you know what? Now it's time that I connect to this body and covenant. I want to be a centerway steward. I don't, I don't know, but there are steps for you to move forward in your spiritual journey. For others of you, maybe it's, maybe it's not that organizational, if you will. Maybe it's just a decision to say, I'm going to live on mission. I'm going I'm to stop fearing the different. Not because I conjure it up, because I'm going to remind myself of who God is and allow it to transform my heart. So my decision is to, to wake up every morning with a, maybe a note that I've written to myself to just recenter my heart on the truth of the gospel. I don't know. I don't know what your next step is, but I know every person in this room has a next step, myself included. No one is excluded from that. So what's yours? If you're there this morning and you say, mine is to cross that line of salvation, I want to provide an opportunity for you to just simply pray a prayer in the quietness of your mind. I'm not going to embarrass you or make you come forward or anything like that. It's a, a decision for you to make in the quietness of your seat, if you'd like. To simply say, Lord, I know that you died for my sins. Will you forgive me? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. It can be that easy. Pray that prayer this morning. I'd love to talk to you about what your next steps are after that if you've prayed that prayer. Let's bow our heads. Your head's bowed this morning as the, uh, the band comes back up. I want to challenge you to consider what your next step is. Maybe it's a time to take some notes about that. To sit, to remain seated. I don't know what it looks like, but we're going to go into a time of response. It'll be a time for us to express worship, adoration to the Lord for what he has done, what he will continue to do in and through our lives. And as we respond, we want to welcome you to be part of that response. So I'm just going to lead us into prayer as we go into that time. Heavenly Father, we're, we're grateful that we're not destined to live life at face value. To just struggle with the fear of the next step. But that because of who you are and what you've done, we can have the authority to take bold steps forward into whatever it is that you call us to do. And so God, we declare ourselves available this morning. Would you challenge us? Would you call us forward? Would you lead us and direct us? Would you place into our hearts God risks? Would you whisper into our minds dreams and vision, Lord? I pray that people that have been locked up for seasons of their life would have a flood of fresh water into their life and their minds and hearts expanded of what could be, of what is possible, that they'd be filled with vision 
in anticipation because of what they know, because of who you are, that they would take bold steps in their discipleship journey for your glory and their joy. We worship you, Lord.